Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Star Wars 7x7 episode 2214. Today, an interview with Cole Horton, or should I say Elok Throno, who is the author of the Galaxy's Edge Traveler's Guide to Batuu. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy. And thank you so much for joining me for it. So, funnily enough, the Star Wars Book of Lists and the Traveler's Guide to Batuu were supposed to come out on the same day in June, and they did not. Ultimately, the Traveler's Guide was delayed a month, and so it came out just this past Tuesday. But because both books are published by Becker and Mayer, the arrangements for interviews happened at essentially the same time. And so back in June, I did two interviews with Cole back to back, one that was specific to the Book of Lists and one that was specific to the Traveler's Guide to Batuu. And so I shared the first of them, the Book of Lists interview, when the Book of Lists came out, or at least not long afterward. And now I am pleased to share with you the other interview that I did back on that day in June, which is the interview with Ilak Throno, a.k.a. Cole Horton, who is the author of The Traveler's Guide to Batuu. And we'll dig into all sorts of stuff about how a guide like this is created in just a moment. I do want to say thank you, as always, for joining me, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. And now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Cole Horton about The Traveler's Guide to Batuu. I am thrilled to welcome back onto the show the author of Volcanic Planets, your guide to the galaxy's hottest destinations, as well as the Galaxy's Edge Traveler's Guide to Batuu, Elok Throno, or should I say Cole Horton. How are you today? I'm good. I guess we're good. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I'm both of those people. Yes. And uh, in theory, I've written a, a large number of books as this, this fictional author here. This was a unique book. Uh, in, in terms of just who even writes it. Uh, so is this, sure. is this your first book that you've written as an in-universe book? Um, the first one, probably all the way through. So I've done some others that have just like bits and pieces. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I did a an update to the 3D owner's manual for the Millennium Falcon. And like, you know, you'd have to put in like in-universe statements from like Han Solo or Orlando Calrissian or something like that. But yeah, this is uh, sort of unique... And in a lot of Star Wars publishing, there's only been a handful of books that sort of take on this sort of approach of it's written in-universe by a single in-universe author. Um, So, yeah, it was my first time doing that. And I didn't hide it very well because Elok Throno, of course, is just a a re-jiggering of my name. Yep. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I kind of had to, out the gates, invent some kind of travel guide character. To, to be there in that world and take readers through it as well. So when the project was initially proposed, was it proposed as a book to be written by an in-universe character or, or not? 
Yeah, it was. So the brief on this one um, was specific in that it was going to be in-universe. Mm-hmm. It, it needed to be about not just Black Spire Outpost and just that like little chunk of Batu that you get to visit when you uh, go to the land at you know, Disneyland Resort or Walt Disney World. Um, it needed to cover the whole planet. And uh, past that, they were they were pretty wide open with in, with what could be in there. Uh, they provided me a lot of resources and documents to help, but um, I'd say the the editors at Becker and Mayer, uh, the editors at Lucasfilm, and this time we were working with uh, Walt Disney Imagineering as well, like the team that was working on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, the theme parks, um, were like hand in hand with this, and they were super open and, and great to work with as well. So I kind of got to like take it from there and um, put in whatever I thought was interesting. So where in time was this book written in uh, comparison to the development of Galaxy's Edge and the actual opening of the land at the various Disney properties? Yeah, so in the real world, I wrote this before um, either either location had opened. So I'd say 99% of this book was done um, before I had seen it, actually. Oh, so even... Uh, even not uh, getting to go behind the scenes and see it being built? Yeah, no, uh, this was all written remotely uh, from my office in San Francisco. And uh, yeah, they, they provided me with this like amazing tome of information, all the backstories. And it was basically like the working like uh, Bible mm-hmm. to the project. And so everyone who was working on the project seemed to kind of have this, like this was the reference for uh, anyone who, who touched the project. And there are, you know, hundreds, thousands of people who touched this project. Um, and so they gave me that. And it, it was really the, the number one resource. It had a little bit of everything, um, including maps. So the first thing I had to figure out was, you know, I knew there were going to be two versions of this park, right? One on the West Coast and one down in Florida. And the first thing I didn't know is, are they are they the same? Because mm. again, nothing had really been announced. Like we we had seen the big model at D twenty three Expo, right. um, but I didn't know if they were different or something had changed. So the first thing I did was get in there and, and confirm that yeah, they're actually surprisingly the same. Uh, I think you know Uber fans will of course find differences and little things here and there, um, but certainly the the sort of like layouts and the the brick and mortar and all the uh, all the structures are very similar. So the good news was I didn't have to write two versions of this guidebook. <laughs> um, and then they were able to provide me um, with some really cool photography. So they took that model that was on display at D23 Expo and had been you know, used in the development of the, of the project. Um, and they were able to get in there like on ground level with cameras and almost provide me like a ground level view of everything, oh, every wow. street and every building. And so I could I could look at the map, I could look at, uh, or I could read all the descriptions, and then I could look at these photos and really get a sense for like where things were in the space, because I, I very quickly had to decide how does someone arrive on Batu, or what's the like most logical path someone might take if they were taking sort of a walking tour mm-hmm. of Black Spire Outpost, and I knew there were multiple entrances. And then when you're in there, right, it's, it's like streets and alleyways and paths. And and I had to find one that would be logical and you wouldn't miss anything. Um, so that was 
a challenge to, because again, I hadn't been there. Right. I'm going off of a, you know, a PDF document and some pictures. Um, but with all of that combined, you, you kind of get a sense for the space. Um, now that said, I wrote it and it felt like Black Spire was big. Um, and I wrote it as such. And you kind of write it as if it's even, even bigger than, than the physical space might be at the, at the parks. But then I got there. I'm like, oh no, it's even bigger than I thought. Like I was just sort of taken aback at like just how big it is. And just like the Falcon. I don't know if you've been. I have not uh, yet. Um, you, I, I think you'll experience when you go. You walk up to the Falcon and it just feels. And you've been thinking about this thing your whole life. Right. Like we, you know, this ship inside and out, I've written books about that ship, <laughs> but when you see it in real life, it's even bigger and it's even better. Oh, wow. And that was the thing that like, I hope I conveyed and I don't know, maybe you can't convey it. Like maybe people just need to get there and actually see this space because it's, it's like the black spire, right? This giant, you know, tree that's sort of in the middle. Um, it's huge. It's all huge. And, and that was really cool to sort of discover when I got there. Uh, thankfully, I didn't discover really anything that I got entirely wrong. Um, thanks to <laughs> uh, m- hopefully me doing my homework, but of course, all the great editorial support and all the great support from everybody at Walt Disney Imagineering and Lucasfilm Story Group and yeah, the Lucasfilm editors, my editors, I think we got it right, mm-hmm. um, even, even with not being able to be there. Now, because of sort of how long the book takes to uh, develop and especially all the imagery and stuff like that. The lands, both of them had opened mm-hmm. by the time we, you know, we had to go to print or something. So, um, we were able to get in there and get you know, some different photography, um, confirm everything was right and, and double check. But yeah, books take a long time. I, it, before <laughs> I, I, I got into this, this publishing world, I think I had no idea how long a book takes. Uh, I tend to have probably the shortest amount of time with it because there's just so much, especially when you're working with so many different partners. Um, it's a lot of eyes and a lot of feedback and, and it's all good, but it takes time. And then mm-hmm. the poor designers, um, they're brilliant <laughs> and they have the hard job. Um, they, they made the book feel kind of unique and different. Um, like the visual style, um, it's readable, but it had to kind of feel like it was in universe mm-hmm. as well. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of books, in universe no ray has some ancient ones and so yeah like you had to like what would a book feel like and so i uh yeah hats off to them because they they pulled it off and made it feel like it could actually exist yeah so tell me about the character of elok throno was there and i'm pronouncing that correctly I think so. Yeah, it's Star Wars. You can pronounce it however you want, but yeah, that's how I say it. <laughs> so, did you actually, you know, do work on developing this character and who he might be and what his place in the world is? Obviously, there's there's stuff in the book about him about um, you know, a little bio at the end, which is fantastic. <laughs> but um, yeah, and his philosophy for how he approaches writing travel books like this. Yeah, uh, there was a ton of backstory I created, and there were uh, multiple inspirations that were used. So in terms of backstory, I originally had something even more uh, in-depth than what you see in the final, like about the author section near the back. (laughs) Um, But even in that, I was able to capture like where he went to school, Mm -hmm. which is actually a reference to another book 
that I was also wonder. written in no. universe. Ah, okay. Yes. So uh, Amel Fortune is, I think, the character who you know my character studied under. Um, that was from the was it the Galactic Atlas? Is the recent kind of bigger book with lots of maps in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another book that was written sort of in the same way with the same conceit. Um, so like I was like, oh, that's cool. Well, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna make some connection to that. Um, and then I, I had this whole backstory, even like why this character would know what he knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially the thing that, that it had that I wanted, I just wanted, cause I think it's cool. And I liked them growing up was blueprints mm-hmm. for all the various ships you're going to see. Right. Right. Well, why would this travel writer have these blueprints? <laughs> like I, I couldn't figure that out, like some excuse for that. And then I realized, Oh, he'd have a droid. And his droid could scan all those things. So I had this whole like backstory about the droid. And I think I had a droid's name and little sketches of what the droid would look like. And then we didn't end up needing any of that. Like, you know, it was just sort of too much. But in my head, that's what we had. Mm-hmm. Um, it, from an inspiration standpoint, I, I looked two places. The first was those old uh, like West End RPG guides, which I would always read as a kid. Even though I wasn't playing the game, I loved like – all the information and we just have lists of technology and blasters and backpacks and all that stuff that mm-hmm. your, your character would need for the RPG. And I kind of wanted to have a little element of that because I envisioned, you know, people who hadn't been yet on their vacation, you know, sitting at home kind of figuring out like, who's their character, who are they going to be in this world? And you would want a lot of that information to kind of help you out. Yeah. So I looked at that a lot, pulled out some of my old West End RPG reference books that, from the from the 90s ah. um the other thing I, I thought about a whole lot was other travel guides and particularly rick steves mm-hmm. the public television personality who's, who's been doing this for a long time and his guides to europe are my wife and i's favorites we we've you know been to his uh, events in washington we're, we're huge rick steves fans and and he was always sort of another inspiration and the way rick steves is able to um bring to life like the history of a place uh, is very important, sort of the tone, the way he talks about that, the way that Rick makes his travel guides and and all, you know credit to all the other people who work on those books with with Rick Steves as well. Yeah. They make um, they make everything kind of feel personal and they're not afraid to infuse a little bit of opinion uh, or their personal experience into things, mm-hmm. which was which I love in the travel guide. But it's also really helpful in a book like this because it does explain why, like, like, why are you peppering in like facts about people's personalities and, and their relationships. So well, it's because well, this character knows these people like, like mm-hmm. uh, Rick Steves might know somebody who owns a hotel in, in, in France. Um, and then just the way that it, it kind of balances like interesting information and context and the sort of like feel of a place with the information you need to make your way through that place. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're not just these like um, transactional kind of impersonal books they they somehow juggle um being like kind of art and the science yeah. of travel and i wanted a lot of that in there so so rick steve's guides were a good bit of that um i think you know kind of a, a difference from all of those things even the rpg uh, books is just how visual this one is mm-hmm. um we do have a lot of imagery in there and and we rely on that and it is it is full color and, and everything so um yeah, it's a little bit different in that respect. It's not just a dry, 
kind of travel guide that like thin, I call it Bible paper, you know, that like those travel guides, they're just so dense. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is not that. Um, (laughs) This is a a much higher quality stock and uh, meant to be more visual along with all the, all the information. Now that said, I think I came in about twice as long on word count than it was originally briefed for. Oh really? Um, Yeah. I just couldn't stop myself from writing (laughs) some stuff Um, or it was just kind of hard to, hard to decide what wasn't going to go in and I knew that this might be the only place where a lot of these backstories that have been developed got told. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, of course, other uh, tie-ins and you know other authors working in this space and telling some of these stories and expanding on uh, Batu and Black Spire Outpost, uh, and that continues still today. Um, but this was the place where we could try to capture all of it at once. And I don't know, I just got greedy. I wanted all of it in there and it was hard to let go. So I chose to turn in a book that was twice as long and let the, the poor editors and designers figure it out. And they did. So it worked out. Excellent. Um, I'm going to step out of interview mode for a second because I have just realized that I do not have a power cord plugged in on my computer. So. Oh, yep. <laughs> and I don't want to lose this thing in the middle of it. So I'm going to disappear there we off go. camera for a second. That's fine. I'm checking mine now too. You've got me. Uh, you've got me spooked. All right. Oh, uh, now you've got to edit. How much editing do you normally do? Not a lot, as it turns out. Um, I mean, most of the conversation, I would say. You know, it's not like I'm editing out ums and ahs and that sort of thing. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very little that I have to do actually. The real editing is more with the introductory where if I'm going to say, Hey, I talked to Cole Horton. It was great. And this is blue. Hit. Oh shoot. Stop. Yeah. Start over. <laughs> yeah. And so that's yeah. where it a happens. 10 second bumper turns into like half the, half the effort. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So, um, the whole notion of jump cuts in videos on YouTube, once I got used to that being the norm, then it's like, okay, I just have to know what I'm going to say for about 30 seconds at a shot. And yeah. <laughs> then I can stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And it works out fine. So yeah, yeah these ones comparatively feels like, you know, walking on a tightrope, but, um, it's, it's generally works out. Okay. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm back in. Are we good to continue? Let's do it. Awesome. So you mentioned, you know, all of the things that you're you know, wanting to include in there and other authors working in the space. I wanted to ask you about that too, because you also mentioned the reference materials that you were provided. So as part of your process, are you also looking at novels like uh, Delilah Dawson's Black Spire or Zoraida Cordova's Crash of Fate, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to list all the novels and comics that have touched it, but I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. Like, did that you know, is that part of it or is that also just, you know, writers are working in the space and so you, you know, you include some, you let editors bring in more. How does it work? It kind of works in all of those ways at the same time. So the first thing, like we're all working from the same documents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're all pulling from the same space. And, and as long as we all kind of keep going back to that one central point, everybody can kind of stay unified sort of no matter what happens. Um, I know I, I got to hang out a little bit with Delilah at Celebration, mm. um, and I was more kicking off my project, I believe, and she was more nearing the end. 
Um, and so I was able to kind of pick her brain and, you know, it's always fun to kind of run into some of the few people in the world who are also in on the secret, you know, because mm-hmm. this is all incredibly sensitive and you can't talk about it. So it was fun just to be able to like pick her brain and like, well, well when you read about this, how, how did you envision that? And then what are you thinking when, when you read this, that or the other? Uh, so that was really great. And then, yeah, you, you rely on the editors at Lucasfilm and the story group there a lot because they see it all and it's all kind of passing uh, over their desks and uh, they can help make sure those connections are there. And even some of the late breaking stuff. Um, one of the things that kind of hadn't been figured out yet um, that's in the, in the final book is about like different celebrations that happen on Batu oh, yeah. at different times of the year. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when I had my kickoff call with Walt Disney Imagineering, that meeting hadn't happened yet. Like they hadn't quite figured that out. And we just kind of had a placeholder for that. Oh, wouldn't that be cool if we could talk about that? Um, and then later on, I, I you know, I kind of get a draft of the book and it's there. <laughs> so somebody thankfully had had remembered that discussion and made sure that that made it into the final bit, even though that didn't necessarily line up with the timeline I was given for the manuscript, which is many, many, many months um, before the, the final product is done. Mm-hmm. And speaking of timelines, when my understanding is when you go to Galaxy's Edge, when you're actually in the land, that you're actually stepping into a specific day in a specific year, and it takes place in between The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. So when you're writing the guide, are you writing it with the presumption that okay, I only know what happens up through that date. And so whatever happens beyond that and in The Rise of Skywalker, like you have to close your mind off from all that stuff. That's exactly right. Yeah, so um, when you visit, it's sort of like a snapshot in time between those two films. And I wrote this as if the the author, Elok, had been there about two weeks before um, you would arrive as the reader. Um, so uh, he, yes, of course that makes a lot and of sense. the idea was like, he had been constantly updating this book. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I would, so that meant though, that he maybe didn't know a few things. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is the first order at that point might've just barely arrived and they, they're like their presence and their intentions maybe wouldn't be extremely clear to everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, when you would arrive, two weeks later in that universe, right? The first order has more, uh, firmly established themselves and, and they're causing more trouble and they're doing more inspections and things like that. Um, but he wouldn't quite know that he also wouldn't really know what was going on out in the forest. And, uh, if if you visit the land, what's going on out there, of course, is that the resistance is setting up a base. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that he would know like something was up, and, and there were these resistance things and he would get to talk about the resistance and its leaders and stuff like that. But he, he wouldn't necessarily like out their presence, right? Because the idea is that the first order is looking for them. Mm-hmm. And if all they had to do was walk down the street and pick up the travel guide that's been in print, um, that would really <laughs> like blow up the whole story. So he had to be a little bit dodgy there. Um, but purposely, there were a few things that we were dodgy about as well. Um, there are no spoilers for the attractions. Okay. Um, so if, if you want to ride smugglers run or rise the resistance and you want those unspoiled, I'll tell you, I want them unspoiled. I actually tried my best to avoid rise of the resistance spoilers, which I still haven't had a chance to, to experience. Um, what, what I did instead was attempt to give you, whether you knew it or not, information about things that you might 
come across on, on those attractions. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not going to give a beat for beat. Here's what happens. Cause that is like your experience that you, you know, as a, as an inhabitant of this world, uh, would, would go experience, you know, sort of uniquely. Right. So that's not in there. And then we want to keep a couple of the other things separate as well. Like this is not a guide to sell you merchandise at the theme park. Mm-hmm. Um, or I just don't go into that. Like we don't talk about what's really for sale, uh, at all. I, I don't, we don't talk about t-shirts and, and mugs and, or build a droid or anything like that. Instead, I talk about the, the owner of those shops and mm-hmm. what they make and kind of what inspired them and what motivates them and, and sort of why they're, you know, their, their approach to craftsmanship and things like that. Um, but it's not, it's not there to sell you stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, if you want to go there and have the, that experience and build a droid, in the droid shop. If you read the book, you're going to know, oh, this droid shop is is run by Mubo, and this is his personality, and this is where he comes from, this is how he sort of relates to everybody else, which you won't get if you just went and built a droid. So it's sort of complimentary, but not there to hawk anything. And uh, same goes with the lightsaber mm-hmm. experience. Okay, um, yeah. We're not spoiling that for you at all. And the, the conceit there is that my character has seen some suspicious activity going on around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and is going to maybe talk about some things in the forest and stuff, but I'm not going to give you a beat for me to count about what happens behind those doors. Cause again, that's unique and special and, and hopefully a guest can experience that on their own. You don't need it ruined in, in a book. So it all worked. It was great because you had this narrator who could know or not know things conveniently, right. <laughs> um, to, to still preserve that guest experience. Mm-hmm. And with the First Order and Resistance conflict, too, there are, you know, notes about the fact that both have a presence there. And I love how it focuses on the, the very practical, you know, try to avoid getting, you know, caught and in the middle of, you know, skirmishes between them. Or if you're going outside Black Spire Outpost, be aware that you could be increasing, you know, the odds of danger in those situations. But... I was particularly impressed, or and I was particularly impressed, by the sort of neutral tone that it takes, despite the fact that there are also First Order propaganda posters in there. And I, yeah. was, I wondered, you know, how politically you approach that book, or how Elok pr- approaches a book like that, especially in a time of galactic upheaval. Yeah, the idea was that he was more just like, a scholar and just like intellectually curious about all of this stuff mm-hmm. and really wasn't trying to take a side uh, in part because the, the idea is sort of that the guests can pick an allegiance. Like if you visiting, if you want to you know, align yourself more with the first order or the resistance, you can do that. Um, and so I didn't want to push anybody one way or the other. Um, and yes. And, and I think the timeline helped with that as well because the first order had just got there and actually I had, I think I had a question in story group that was like, how widely known is it that the first order was responsible for the Hosnian cataclysm? Ah. Right. Like does, does the average citizen in the galaxy know about the Starkiller base? Right. And I was like, well, no, maybe they would, they might know about you know, Hosnian prime and you know, stuff blowing up and that, but they wouldn't necessarily know about Starkiller. And they, they may not know everything that you would know as a viewer of a film. And so with that in mind, you're able to kind of like take a more neutral tone because you know, you're just a, a traveler in this galaxy and, and you're not getting caught up in the galactic scale politics of it all. Uh, and instead, you're you're kind of trying to figure it out for yourself. 
and and much like a lot of the residents of Batuville as well, right? Like all these all these shops have proprietors and owners, and of course Oga, who not only runs the cantina but really runs the whole outpost. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how does she feel about this, and 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 like what sort of tensions arise because now the first order is bringing order, uh, for lack of a better word, to this place where she's really had had the run of the the whole town for for about a decade. So. Uh, all that creates great tension and great information, um, all, all that can be told in the universe. So what would you say, um, I mean, ultimately you were learning about the place entirely based on, you know, remote materials and so forth. Um, what, you know, what was most fascinating for you as far as, you know, knowing that a Star Wars land had been created that you could actually step into and step into the universe like for you personally what fired your imagination the most i mean i don't know this sounds dumb but the food i got like really <laughs> into okay good the, the any food, answer the beverages? is great. good okay if you had said maybe the cobblestones i would have been like yeah well but no the well, food okay lay it on me uh yeah no for the um, cobblestones go ahead <laughs> uh, i do have a cobblestone story don't let me forget um, i won't okay great yeah no there um because there were multiple, you know, if you're a Disney fan, you know, there's multiple like food and beverage locations, right? And there's quick service restaurants and that sort of thing and, and snack locations and all that. And all of that was there, but different in that it was so well themed and sort of dressed up and, and kind of revised to be more of a living thing in Star Wars. And it's funny because at first you're like, okay, here's the food. And, you know, this sort of... Um, you could approach it as all right, I gotta sell these people some food, right? Mm-hmm. But that's that's not not what they wanted and not what I want to do either. Uh, instead, it was like, well, where did this food come from? What's the story? And thankfully, all of that existed. Like there's a reason why this food from this place is being served there. and and I knew then, oh, this is a wonderful time to explain to people what these items are. because ah. um, it's not you know chicken tenders. It's a uh, fried tip yip, right? And what well, what's a tip yip? Uh, where's that come from? And so it was a great excuse to get in there and talk about that and talk about who, who brings it there and and also give you a little bit of the backstory around that place. So one of the locations for, for the listeners who haven't been there um, is a dining location that when you arrive, um, it has a sort of cargo ship up top, right? And that cargo ship is bringing food created by uh, Cookie Tugs, who's a character who's actually in uh, Maz Kanata's castle wow. in The Force Awakens. And now, of course, in the timeline, that castle ha- has had a rough time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cookie is now basically created a food truck. <laughs> and he is he has arrived here at Black Spire, and he is the chef at the moment when you go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got dishes, and, and you can taste all that, that food. But the idea that, like, well, there's other chefs, right? Like, he's he's the rotating food truck who just happens to be there when you're there. But wow. this idea that, like, others can come in and out and talking about that, you only get that kind of from the book. Um, you know, a novel doesn't have time to go to go into that level of detail, right, and break the pacing of the story. But I, I'm writing a travel guide, so I can't <laughs> talk about that. So I thought that was really cool. Um, you know, the other location, so Ronto Roasters uh, is, is another location that serves um, – now famous Ronto wraps. Uh, of course, all this was new to me. Like I'm reading this, oh, there's going to be Ronto wraps. I wonder what it tastes like. Uh, luckily, there was a uh, food and beverage sort of um, media event right as I was writing this. And um, I was able to basically read on the internet what this stuff was going to taste like. 
ah. because I had the descriptions in, in the materials I was provided, but I couldn't taste them. I couldn't, I couldn't drink the Alderanian wine, mm-hmm. um, but those people could. And uh, I don't know if you know Amy Ratcliffe, yes. who is uh, another author. Uh, she was part of that event. And, and of all the people who covered that, I think hers was the most descriptive and I ended up using the most. So shout out to Amy, mm-hmm. who went to this event unknowingly uh, and tasted everything and you know wrote about it and turned out to be this amazing resource for me. And I'm like word for word describing how these dishes taste, even though I've never had them. <laughs> Amy had them. And so uh, I think she got them all right. Now, having been there and actually tasted there, she did a fantastic job. Yeah. And uh, so team effort. She didn't even know it. And, uh, and, and yeah, that ended up being a lot of fun. Cobblestones. Yes. However. Um, so th- this book was not the first time I had a chance to, um, to work on Galaxy's Edge as a project. Again, thousands of people have touched this thing. Um, I got to do a very briefly um, – just a little bit of consulting work on droids and droid related things. And one of the things we were able to do is, is get some, um, uh, dimensions and rubbings off the original sort of like treads that were on R2D2. Oh, and okay. the Imagineers were a, I have never met a more passionate group of people like down to every detail, right? Mm-hmm. Take this rubbing and create the files to them, create the stamps to stamp them into the concrete that was supposed to be like mud. Mm-hmm. Um, so that as you're moving through that land, there are not just marks and tracks from where droids have been. They're like accurate to 1977. <laughs> the actual R2D2 tracks are, are in the concrete. Like, it's just amazing. The, the amount of like, no detail was too small. Um, no expense was spared, right? It's sort of the Jurassic park. Um, mm-hmm. it was uh, amazing. Uh, what, what they were willing to do and and the passion that they poured into it. And so I was just sort of like lucky to have sort of been uh, in the same uh, space as that for a brief time before I got brought on to do this book. And uh, then you go there and you see that you're like, wow, like that was years ago, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and they remembered it all this time and they went out of their way to do that. And it's the sort of little details that if you're just going, I think the average person on vacation may never know. Mm-hmm. But if you take time and really stare at everything, Everything has a story uh, and everything is there purposefully and, and it's really special. And I think you've done a fantastic job of capturing it, knowing that you couldn't possibly capture everything because then it would be, you know, like 18 inches thick and <laughs> multi-volumed and whatnot. But um, I enjoyed the heck out of it and I'm going to be referencing it again and and particularly again when I finally get the opportunity to go to Galaxy's Edge. And I will say to the universe that I hope this book is required reading for everybody who goes on to the Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel. When that opens <laughs> in Walt Disney World, it should be in every room right next to the Gideon Bible because it's a fantastic resource. And honestly, it helped me visualize it in a way that I hadn't yet visualized it despite you know having video and seeing things like that. Like It definitely really brought it alive for me in a new and awesome way. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, I I hope so too. It was certainly written so that it could exist in and outside of the actual, you know, planet of Batu. Uh, If, if anyone's listening out there and they're looking up the book or, or maybe even going out and pre-ordering it, if Mm -hmm. I can pitch something, huh? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You're going to see the, the image there of the cover. um, And there's actually a mock-up. There's, there's a, there's a little like, um, I don't know, a piece of paper 
that goes on the retail versions of this thing that have the title and everything. And you'll see that in the picture. That actually comes off. The attention was that if this was ever being sold in the park itself uh, on on Batu and Black Spire Outpost, you wouldn't have that information, right? You wouldn't need that, mm -hmm. that barcode. Um, and it would, without that, look very in-universe. Ah. And so underneath that that strip um, is the title, but it's all in Arabesh. Mm -hmm. um, so That's it right. will fit right there in universe. And so that was uh, not my idea. Uh, I think that was that was the team at, at Becker and Mayer. Um, brilliant idea. And, and yeah, that was very much on their minds. They've thought of everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Elok Throno, a.k.a. Cole Horton, thank you again for joining me on the show and talking about Galaxy's Edge, the Traveler's Guide to Batu. I really appreciate it. Appreciate your time and your passion. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. Not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2020 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, a company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamins. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.